Tappers, what's up? It is the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap for February 9th. Hope everybody is doing well, staying warm. I just looked at the Weather Channel app today to be like, oh, are we going to actually get out of this polar vortex anytime soon? No. It's like a week before that had that happens. So here we are, and there we are with the state of Wisconsin and winter. And if you're listening outside of the state of Wisconsin, kindly fuck off. All right, <laughs> moving on. Uh, no, I mean, I'm sure in the Midwest it's still cold. But if you're like in Florida, I hate your guts. Anyways, got a good show today. We're going to talk about the Bucks' big win. We'll talk about Drew Holiday maybe or maybe not having COVID-19 and what that could mean. That's, yeah, it's an issue. We'll talk about Matt LaFleur's vision for the Packer defense. And we'll talk about Pakoda loving the Brewers again. So we will do all of that today. Good show, as I mentioned. Let's start talking about the Bucks. So Milwaukee Bucks, we mentioned on Monday's show that this was a pretty big week for the Bucks. It wasn't necessarily like a barometer because they're playing the Western Conference. They don't play these teams in the playoffs. But the Western Conference is better than the East yet again. It's I know it it's weird how it always keeps happening, but that is true. I think there are, you know, nine or ten really good teams in the West, while in the East, I think there are six, maybe seven. I don't know. Atlanta and Toronto and Charlotte, who are all on the bottom, who are under five hundred, I still think are all right teams, but they're they're just sort of they're five hundred. They're not they're not that great. But anyways, I digress. So the Milwaukee Bucks played the Denver Nuggets, the Phoenix Suns, and the Utah Jazz this week. Uh, If they played everyone the same day, that would be pretty tough. But they just played the Nuggets on Monday night. And they've struggled in Denver for their franchise history. The Bucks have only won nine times there. The, yesterday was their 10th win out of 50 tries. So that's crazy that Milwaukee has had that little success in Denver. It always has felt like a house of horrors. I can never forget, oh God, I'm now, I'm going to blank. There was a Bucks game where there was some random guy that went off. And I, well, no, the Bucks actually had Sam Dallenberry, I think had like 28 one night in Denver, but Milwaukee couldn't stop a fucking cold that night. And they, well, that that's the wrong, they couldn't stop a sneeze. That I think would be the right way. They couldn't stop a cold. That was bad. They couldn't stop a cold and it, it was just a bad loss for Milwaukee. But this was not one of those. This was a good win for the Milwaukee Bucks. And they got it done with a huge game from Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo combining for 59 points and did it without Drew Holiday, who had to be who had to sit out because of health and protocol. I think this game just really spoke to the greatness of Chris Middleton. I think Chris Middleton is one of the best players in the league. I said in different things that I think he's a top 15 player this year. I know that that sounds ridiculous. And when you go through the list of 15 guys, you can definitely call out guys who you think might be better than Chris Middleton. But there, there is who is notably better than Chris Middleton. Like who is, you know, Instagram popular better than Chris Middleton in that top 15. And then the dudes who are actually good on the basketball court. And that's what Chris Middleton is. Chris Middleton is top 15 on the court. He might not be top 15 on social media. He might not be top 15 on first take or fucking undisputed. But Chris Middleton is a top 15 player. And all this win did was shine a light on how good Chris Middleton can be. And he was in full control of this game. 
He not only had 30 points, he also contributed the 30 points with his 12 assists. And he was basically a point forward out there. I, You know, Magic Johnson's way too uh, lofty of a comparison, but it was really effective to have Chris Middleton as your point guard as Drew Holiday was, you know, obviously sitting out. And you almost wonder if this unlocks something for the Bucs. Now, the Bucs have been playing good, right? Like, the Bucs have been dominant um, the last two weeks, but you almost wonder if this is another layer that they can bring in is running Middleton as a point forward and having the team run through him versus sort of on the side. And I, I really think it could be successful. You also saw Middleton find Giannis for some easy dunks. There were some Shaq and Kobe comparisons going around. I think I compared him to Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, but it was awesome. Like Middleton found Giannis a couple times for alley-oops and and they are like synced. Like they are dialed in right now. And I think that's what you're seeing across the board with this Milwaukee team. And that is really exciting. And the kind of regular season dominant Bucks are back. And that is exciting. And I know a lot of you will say, Charlie, it doesn't mean shit. It's the regular season. Those people are back. Okay. Those same people who worried about the Bucks against sh- losing to Charlotte and losing to New Orleans and pooped their pants about those games are now back saying, oh, hey, regular season doesn't matter. Because now the Bucks are good. And they're like, ah, we'll wait till the postseason. Fuck off, man. Like, you have to start seeing the improvement during the regular season. And you have to start seeing the Bucs being able to beat good teams. And so for all of those people who are like, yeah, it doesn't matter until the regular season. If that was your point two weeks ago, and it's still your point today, I'm not going to shame you for that. I'm not going to flame you. Because if if you're staying true and you're digging your heels into that, I'm okay with it. But for those who were kind of react reaction to the reactionary to the Bucks losing two weeks ago or week two weeks ago, yeah, and now you're like, oh well, it doesn't matter because it's just about playoffs. Well, that's disingenuous in my opinion because either you know sticks to a side, okay, pick your side and go forward with it. But yes. I think Milwaukee is playing really special basketball right now. Milwaukee is the least likely team I'd like to see. Like Phoenix, who's playing them on Wednesday night. I don't think Phoenix wants to see him. I think actually Phoenix could be a bad matchup for them. With DeAndre Ayton, you bring Giannis out. Ayton on Giannis seems like an awful matchup. Um, And Devin Booker on Chris Middleton does not seem like it will go well either. If And Holiday won't play, so Chris Paul. But... Also, Chris Paul chasing around Bryn Forbes doesn't sound like a great idea for Chris Paul. So I don't really think the Suns match up well against the Bucs. And I think that will be a, it could be another big win. And then they'll play the Jazz, which should be the ESPN game. The Lakers are playing the Grizzlies that night. But there is no reason that Bucks Jazz shouldn't be ESPN 9 o'clock. Like that, to me, is as good of a game as you're going to have on the slate. And the fact that Lakers-Grizzlies is above it, yeah, that's the LeBron bias. And that's the things that some of the Bucks Twitter gets mad about. I think they overdo it. I've talked about that before. But that's a situation where I'm like, all right, Bucks Twitter, you guys... You guys get a get a reprieve here because yeah, that's ridiculous. Like that game, Bucks Jazz should definitely be ESPN second game with how good both teams are playing. 
other quick notes on the game itself. Uh, Giannis made a couple threes. He banked one in. He was two of five from three. He also made uh, six of eight free throws. I thought it was an impressive game for Giannis because he had nine points to start the start the second half. He was facing as good of a uh, interior defense as he's seen since he kind of switched to this post Giannis world, and he struggled early. And then he made the adjustments, and he had. Tw- you know what, 19 points in the second half, that's pretty damn good, or 21, yeah, 21, I can do math, I promise, 21 points in the second half for Giannis, which is truly good, good stuff on him, I thought Bryn Forbes in his first starting role was good, 15 points, five boards, he also had three threes, Torrey Craig off the bench with nine, Torrey Craig revenge game situation also had five rebounds, if they can figure out how to make Torrey Craig a shooter, like, Torrey Craig had three threes. He made all of them. If they can figure... And I think that's a career high for Torrey Craig, by the way. If they can figure out how to make Torrey Craig into a, at least a competent shooter... Like, I'm not saying Torrey Craig needs to be shooting 40% from three. But if you can figure out how to make Torrey Craig like a 33 to 35% three-point shooter... Combined with his defense, who he did a great job on Jamal Murray in this game... Look out. Like, all of a sudden, Torrey Craig becomes a unit off the bench. And you really like what you're seeing out of that. But, I, yeah, I like this this game from the Bucs. It's hard not to be encouraged with this performance. But, obviously, the holiday factor looms over Milwaukee. Holiday tested. We don't know if he tested positive. I shouldn't say I shouldn't say he tested positive. But, it based on Chris Middleton's comments after the game, Eric Name pointed this out. It sounds like Holiday tested positive, which would mean he's out for about two weeks. It is so fucking bucks that they get hot and then their now new best player is now on the bench for coronavirus and potentially if there's contract tracing, it could mean more Bucks players are out and then the Bucks are dealing with what the Washington Wizards dealt with, the Memphis Grizzlies, Boston Celtics had a little bit of it, the Miami Heat. Um, so yeah, it could be a real issue. But here, like, were the comments from Middleton that name screenshotted on Twitter. He goes, he, once he tested positive, you immediately think about his health, his safety, and then his family back home. He has young kids too. He has to worry about. I think that's a huge part of what's going through my mind. Chris Middleton saying that before the game, just thinking about him and his family back home. And then Middleton also says, you hope or he's probably a little stressed out worrying about what symptoms he's going to have or whatnot, but you continue to talk to him, pray for him, hope that it's going to be well. Hopefully the test may come back negative a couple more times and it's just a false positive. I think that's the best case scenario, but I'm sure he'll be fine no matter what though. So it is pretty much a given that he tested positive. Now I think they'll obviously test him a couple more times, see if it is a false positive. Obviously, that is the best case scenario. If it isn't, and it also sounds like he's asymptomatic, right? Because Middleton basically says he doesn't have symptoms right now. He doesn't know what symptoms he's going to get. So they may have caught it a little bit early, which is good. And you just hope that this isn't something that keeps him out for a long time. I I know that I I don't like doing cross-sports comparisons, but we saw that A.J. Dillon was out for a month because of COVID. I had hate to think the Bucks losing Holiday for a month. And if you look at Drew Holiday's career, it fits this weird narrative that Drew Holiday's had some really shitty luck 
of staying healthy. Like he's broken bones. He obviously had the thing where he was taking care of his wife, which isn't shitty luck. It's just he had to step away from basketball. It seems like there's always something that gets in the way for Holiday every season. And this year it could be COVID. Now, I don't want to overreact because we don't have the full facts. I don't want to Rob Doster it and be like, oh my God, he has COVID. Like he's going to be sidelined for fucking two weeks. We we don't have that that data just yet. We'll just have to sort of wait and see. And there are some who, who are wondering, well, why did the Bucks play this game? And, and, and you know what? Like obviously they felt pretty good about the rest of them. They're contract tracing for a reason. They, they were making sure that everything was okay. You know, the Nets thing was a debacle last Friday, but we haven't seen like, oh, there's like six Brooklyn Nets that tested positive or Kevin Durant has COVID-19 again. It It's it, one of those things where we got to like look at the full scope. Like we can't just be like, all right, there might be a positive test. Why do we play versus, okay, there's a positive test. Our contract tracing doesn't show anyone else is, has anything to worry about. We're okay. We're going to proceed and push it on. So I don't think the Bucks are on the verge of an outbreak. Um, obviously, if they come back and say, all right, well, Holiday was in close contact with Giannis, and it blows up the rest of the road trip, and it blows up you know, what the Bucks have rolling right now, and you'd hate for that momentum to slow down. But I will say this. If it does, like that's like worst-case scenario. If it does slow it down, I still think you can't take away what the Bucks have done these last five games. And these last five games have made me feel like they're an NBA Finals team. And I don't know if I felt that way at the start of this season, but I look at it and I put the Bucks at the top of the NBA Eastern Conference. I know there will be people who put Brooklyn. I know there will be people who put uh, Philadelphia, but it, it is the Bucks. And I think it's the Bucks to lose. And I think they've made the necessary adjustments to be the top team in the East. So let's hope for false positive. Let's hope even if it is a positive, let's hope that others on the team aren't affected by it and they're able to play with mostly a full roster. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. So Matt LaFleur has a vision for his defense. Tom Silverstein wrote an excellent piece on what LaFleur has in mind. I recommend all of you Packer fans to go read it. If you're not a subscriber to the Journal Sentinel, uh, you can sign up for a dollar for six months. That's me plugging local journalism. I have a Journal Sentinel story, but I will save it for another time, maybe at the very end of the show, because let me tell you, their processes or processes are some of the worst in Wisconsin, the worst in the world, the worst in America. I realize it was America, whatever. Screw it. Anyways, Matt LaFleur thinks that he wants to have a defense like Vic Fangio's, basically, is what the TLDR of Tom Silverson's piece talks about how what Vic Fangio does is very impressive. It's hard for offenses to combat. And I think the way Matt LaFleur wants to have control, quote unquote, of his defense is he wants to find a defense that's hard for his offense. And it's kind of a cocky way to think about it, right? But he wants to have a defense that he will struggle against that he that challenges him and so I think looking at what Fangio's defense does I think that's where LaFleur is like all right I want to implement that I think we have the talent around us to implement that and why he went with Joe Barry is because Joe Barry has some experience with it and Joe Barry had did it with the Rams and that's why Evro and Harris 
did not get the defensive coordinator job. And in, you know, Silverstein makes a big piece about, yeah, it looks like he's hiring his friend, which I had said, and I had made a commentary on the review I did and as well as, you know, put it in a blog. And he kind of, you know, quells that be with the whole, he has a vision about making this like a Vic Fangio defense. Now he also has some virtue signaling about him not hiring a black defensive coordinator with three candidates. I just, look, I think that was really unnecessary for Tom. Like how will the players react? I'm like, I don't know. It's not like they fired a, they didn't fire a black guy. They, they fired Mike Patton, who's cream cheese white. It's, is it really going to be that big of a deal that they didn't hire a, African-American as they were looking for a type of defense and Joe Barry runs it. It's not to say Jerry Gray is not going to be the cornerbacks coach. It's not to say that Evro couldn't potentially be a part of the Packers roster if they're, I don't think they can because I think you have to have a promotion, but you know what I mean? Like it's not like they can't hire guys for it and they, and they've done a good job. You know, Matt LaFleur led the minority coaching initiative. He brought Ruvel Martin on staff. Like, I, I think it's dis- word of the day, but I think it's disingenuous by Silverstein and kind of unnecessary. It ruins his piece, honestly, because the piece is so good talking about how they want to run a Fangio-style defense and how they want to be similar to what the Rams do, what the Broncos do, what the Bears used to do. And like, I'm all in for that. Like we've watched Vic Fangio's defense dominate the Green Bay Packers. Like if that's what, the, what Joe Barry is going to do, then sign me up. Then I'm okay with that. And, and I and I guess that is speaks to why you don't overreact. But if I were the Packers, if I were if I were Matt Lafleur, and obviously I think Silverstein's getting this from Lafleur or someone who's very close to Matt, I would get out ahead of this on Saturday when the news came out. Like this is a column I I would have written on Sunday. So everybody's looking at it and saying, "All right, well." They want to be like the Rams. They want to be like the Bears of old. They want to be like the 49ers of old. I think you can sell that to Packer fans. I think all Packer fans would get on board with that type of defense. Now, is Joe Barry going to carry it out? I don't know. And I wrote about it on SoTap WI. Does this mean that they need a middle linebacker? Now, I've contended that Kamal Martin and Chris Barnes are very good. I, there were people who were like, well, I wish Packers had Devin White or Levante David. And I've made the case, like, those guys don't grow on trees. You want Devin White, you got to be fucking 4-12. and 12. And so if you want to have a 4-12 and 12 season and then draft a Devin White, be my guest. But I don't want to do that. So who could be that guy? Well, you know, Jabril Cox is a guy I love. I think Jabril Cox is going to be a stud. I think he's going to be available for the Packers when they draft. I really like Nick Bolton, too, out of Missouri. Another Mike linebacker that could be ready to start right away. And this isn't taking away from Barnes and Martin, but it just makes me wonder if it sort of tipped their hand to say, all right, even though all of us Packer fans are like cornerback is the top priority, is it now middle linebacker? And don't look at the available free agents at middle linebacker because it's ugly as sin. It is completely gross. And there's no reason to sign any middle linebackers that are available right now. Now, could a cap casualty make someone available where you're like, oh, well, maybe he makes sense more so than drafting a guy like Cox or a guy like Bolton. But there are going to be available middle linebackers for when the Green Bay Packers draft in the late first round. We will see if they pull the trigger. 
but it seems like middle linebacker is more of an emphasis for the Green Bay Packers than it ever has been before. So a lot of people who said Green Bay Packers don't emphasize the middle linebacker position. I hope you're happy. I hope you're you're feeling good because it does seem like that has changed. It seems like that's what Green Bay wants to do because that is part of that Fangio system is having these rangy middle linebackers that can move all over the field. And if you watch Jabril Cox, you're just you get hearts in your eyes. Like you're like, holy fuck, like get me this guy. And I laughed about it because I sent a group chat like Jabril Cox is our guy. Like can't wait to get let down by this. And it happens every year, right? We, we get, we fall in love with these draft prospects and who knows what, why they're not liked by the Packers or they get drafted early. Like a Justin Jefferson's a great example of this. Like how many Packer fans love Justin Jefferson last year? We all love Justin Jefferson. We all wanted Justin Jefferson to be a Packer. We thought Justin Jefferson was a well-kept secret. We're like, all right, Justin Jefferson, late first round. Like, let's go. And then he gets drafted by the Minnesota Vikings of all teams. He has one of the best rookie seasons in NFL history. And, yeah. (laughs) And I, like, look, if they had Justin Jefferson, would they have beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I don't know. I Probably not right? Like Kevin King was still fucking there. Like, but it, it's just one of those things where, yeah, we could love Jabril Cox, but Jabril Cox or Bolton could both go at like 20 and we're like, what the fuck? Like these guys aren't available or an offensive tackle falls because there's so many offensive tackles and Gutekus is like, ah, no, we want a middle linebacker, but we also kind of need a right tackle of the future. So I, I don't know. I still think offensive I tackle is a big priority. I still think middle linebacker is, but I think middle linebacker has kind of moved past tackle in terms of priority. And yeah, there's a corner too. Like they need cornerbacks. But and oh, another thing really quick on corners. I, I didn't write this. I was going to, but like, let's not get excited about Patrick, Patrick Peterson. It sounds like Patrick Peterson's going to be available. Patrick Peterson, awesome dude, really good player for so many years. He may not have that many, that much tread on his tires anymore. He had a really rough year last year. Now you could argue, hey, put him in a system where he's guarding twos versus ones, and maybe he's more successful. You add a veteran leadership. Could he do something like a rover, like a Charles Woodson type, and maybe that's what Peterson does, and he kind of fits into that Raven Green mode? I have no idea. I have no idea, A, if Patrick Peterson would be good at that. I, I would assume so because he's a fucking athlete and a stud. And do the Packers even have money? Because right now, it's looking like they're going to be $30 million over the cap. And if they're $30 million over the cap, then we can't even have any discussions about free agents. Like, it's just not possible. It's not It's not going to work. Like, see, they, they're going to have to figure out ways around it. And I have no idea what they're going to do. But that's another story for another time. I think we need to see where the cap is officially set and know where what moves the Packers need to make. I think Mitch and I might talk offseason moves on Wednesday's show, so stay tuned for that. Or Thursday's show for the Daily Cat Tap. Or, well, Mitch and I might talk about that Wednesday night for Tapping the Keg on Thursday. All right, let's wrap up the show with a little baseball. I actually have a lot of baseball topics, not just Pakoda, but we'll start with Pakoda and then we'll go into the other baseball topics. So Pakoda is the baseball prospectus uh, simulation. They look at the full season and look at you know what teams can do, what their record may be. And Pakoda in the past has been very good 
to the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, I believe in 2018, they kind of called their shot and said that the Milwaukee Brewers are going to win the NL Central. And so it's out today. And they have the Milwaukee Brewers winning 88 games, losing 73, and winning the NL Central with just 88 games. The chance of them winning the division is 55%. They have the Chicago Cubs at number two at 85 wins. And they have the St. Louis Cardinals at 80 wins with only a 9% chance to win the division. These are all things you'd like to see. Part of the reason why I believe they think the Brewers are going to be successful is their runs against. The Brewers are projected to only allow 726 runs. That is far in far the lowest in the NL Central. Take the Cubs, for example, they're at 808. Take St. Louis, they're at 763. Take the fledgling Pittsburgh Pirates, they're at 860. 726 is not even a is a good number for the Brewers because it's the third best in the National League. The only teams that are higher than the Brewer or lower, excuse me, than the Brewers are the Los Angeles Dodgers, the San Diego Padres, and and that's it. That's the list. I was gonna say the New York Mets, but the New York Mets aren't even there. So the Brewers have what a dominant pitching staff, at least from a projection standpoint. And that's part of the reason why they added Colton Wong. Part of the reason why, you know, with Lorenzo Cain back, you have to start feeling a little bit good about the Brewers' defense. And maybe we're all sort of undervaluing the Brewers a little bit. Maybe the 2020 malaise has clouded our judgment and when we really need to start buying back in. And this is the type of shit that I start saying, all right, this Brewer team can win the division. And yeah, do I want them to add one more piece? Yeah, I do. And now I even more, honestly, because if they're right now an 88-win team, what does adding a guy like Mikel Franco, for example, do? Does that make them a 90-win team? Now, they're really high on... The one thing Pakoda is really high on is the New York Mets. They're really low on Atlanta. They only have Atlanta winning 82 games. Now, Craig Goldstein, who... Uh, tweeted out the ranking said yeah that's probably a miss on our behalf of you know Atlanta there's obviously a blind spot because they've been unfair to Atlanta for the last five three years he said so like is this like gold no is this something to look at and kind of get your eye eyes moving and saying all right maybe this Brewer team is worth buying into this year absolutely and so I think that we maybe have undervalued the Brewer pitching staff a little bit and understand that their offenses really should only need four runs a game. And if they get four runs a game, they're going to win a lot. And if they get four, six runs, they're going to win almost every game. That this Brewer pitching staff is not scheduled to give up a lot of runs. Now, I do think that there is a need for a sense of urgency out of Brewer batters. I think the biggest pet peeve I had last season was you know flipping on Twitter or flipping on the TV and it's the third inning and Brian Anderson saying, well, the Brewers still need a hit. Like, I can't do that shit anymore. Like, the Brewers need to get back to jumping out early on teams. Like, that to me is the biggest thing for the offense heading into the season that I'm going to be focused on is, like, can the Brewers get some early runs? 
I understand that it's hard to, that there's weird things about that, that that doesn't always happen. And I'm not saying like you need a home run every fucking first inning, but I'm not, but I also don't want to be no hit every fourth inning. And uh, the other side of the aisle, you have Corbin Burns pitching his ass off and the Brewers losing a lot of one nothing games. So I do think that you're going to need a little bit more from the offense and hopefully it comes early because if you get a lead and you're out to a 3-0 lead in the third inning, it's going to be hard for you to beat Milwaukee. It really is because that pitching staff is really good. And if they get a bump up and improvement from Adrian Hauser or from an Eric Lauer, holy shit, like they, they can compete. Like they don't have the names, but they can compete. And I, I'm I'm buying a little bit back in. And it's it's classic, Charlie. Like not to go into a third person, but there is nothing more pure for me than buying into the Brewers around this time of year. Like I'm sure I'll send a text to my dad saying, Hey, Pakota has us winning the division. I think I'm kind of back in on the Brewers. Because two weeks ago, I was like, it's a fucking slap in the face. They haven't done anything. They're they're throwing away the division. I was fucking pissed. And I still like kind of am. But then they had Colton Wong. And that's a huge addition for Milwaukee. And I still think they're going to do one more move. And I don't know what that move is. But I think they're going to make one more move to really solidify this offense. And they have, But they have the pitching to get him there. And if you have the pitching, you're dangerous, man. We've seen it time and again. You don't sometimes always have to be the most talented. But if you're really good in in pitching, who knows? Sky's the limit. So consider me back in uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers season. I don't know if I was ever out. I, I just was like... I was a little bit like, I can't do 2020 again. And if we're going to do 2020 again, then maybe I am out. But no, I, I'm back in. So I again, like the draft thing, I can't wait to get hurt again. Moving on to some other baseball stuff that's kind of coming down the pipeline. The union agreed to a deal for 2021. Uh, we are going to have seven inning games, seven inning double headers. We are also going to have a runner on second base in extra innings. I know this bothers the purists of the world, but it makes sense because Milwaukee or Milwaukee MLB is going to obviously still have COVID issues. Um, They're hopefully not going to have outbreaks like we saw with the St. Louis Cardinals or the Miami Marlins of last year. Rather, they're going to have issues like we see in the NFL a little bit, like we see in the NBA. I don't know if they'll have like the bit where they'll be postponed games because of it, but I do think you'll have certain guys miss time. And they said they do want the NBA rule of the contract tracing. They want to do contract tracing so they can catch it early. So they're not having a Cardinals or Marlins situation uh, this season, which makes a lot of sense. I also think it would make a lot of sense for them to get vaccinated. That's my personal opinion that it, we then could cut out the middleman. These guys could actually enjoy their lives a little bit more, but apparently people just don't care about athletes. And I get it. It's 2020. I get that, or 2021. I get that people, you know, don't necessarily think that these guys deserve it, that it's a their privilege to play a sport. But I'd argue too that it makes a lot of people money with them playing. And when they don't play, it costs people a lot of money. So that's why I would make an argument that they should be vaccinated before their season starts. Because I think once the season starts, 
you're not going to get vaccinated until next season. So you'll wait till you'll wait till, you know, October or November to get vaccinated. And maybe that's the plan all along. And same with the NBA. And who knows about the NFL? Again, I, I think all these guys, but that's I'm totally different than what the rest of America thinks on that one. So I, I digress and say that's why you have to do the seven inning double headers, just because you're going to have situations where guys might be asked to pitch more because of COVID issues. Guys might, you know, have a, a roster that's half full because of COVID. So seven inning double headers do make sense. It's frustrating. I don't really like it, but it's it's how it's gonna go. And that's that's just gonna be what it's gonna be. Also, too, like now that you're playing in April and May again, you're gonna have delays. Like we've had years where, you know, rain has has affected half the slate one night and it's raining all over the country. And and now instead of having to be a full double adder, you're just gonna have seven inning games. And I think that's more appetizing for the player. Also, the runner on second base, it's it's lame. But again, it makes the game go quicker. And I know that the best thing about baseball is there's no shot clock. While that is true and while I do enjoy the sort of timeless element, it's not what the casual fan wants. The casual fan wants to be done in two hours. The casual fan loves the fact that basketball is about two and a half hours. You can set your watch to it. Uh, Soccer is two hours. NFL is three and a half. But with baseball, you just don't know. If you can say, well, baseball, we're going to get out of there in three and a half to four hours, I think a lot of people would, would sign up knowing that versus like saying, oh, could this game go five or six hours? Again, this is all part of protecting the players by not having these marathon games. And then, oh, by the way, your middle reliever has COVID and now you're, you're, less, of, you're, you're less of a team. And then lastly, uh, this came out this morning, that MLB plans to dent in their balls and have humidors in 10 of 30 stadiums, making 33 of their stadiums have humidors. So if you like to bet over-unders, let me tell you, unders in baseball early are going to be a thing because holy shit, like this sucks. And now baseball, who said for years that the ball wasn't juiced, starting to look like the ball is juiced, right guys? Like if you're deadening the ball, does that mean that you're overcorrecting from the home runs that were going on the last few years? Kind of sounds like it. And I don't know if this means that games are going to be, you know, 2-1 all the time. That I still think you're going to have shootouts. I mean, even though Colorado and Arizona keep their balls in the humidor, we still see ridiculous scores come out of those those stadiums. So I'm not really too concerned with this. I still think it the headline makes it just seem like they hate their fucking fans. It's like, can't we just have a normal ass baseball and see what it does? I under obviously it's way more intricate. There's way more levels to it, but it, it is just another example of Rob Manfred kind of shitting on the fans and it's tough, man. It's really is. And I know baseball is probably headed for a lockout. I hate it. I hate the feeling of it. I, so maybe I need to embrace this season and enjoy it because who knows if it's going to be back for 2021. All right. That does it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow. Another daily tap. Not sure what we'll have on deck. Uh, we have no 
I think there are no Wisconsin sports. Um, I have some interesting like deep dive shit that I've wanted to do. So maybe we'll start doing some of that and get into a little bit or who knows, maybe some news comes out and we have some topics uh, for our liking. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a great Tuesday. Stay warm if you're in Wisconsin um, and we'll talk tomorrow. All right. See you. Bye.